If God's brought you to it, he's going to give you everything you need to go through it. He's got you. He may not have caused that pain, but I promise you, he will give you all the provision and the strength you need to get through it. Clarksville Church destroyed in the flood. The church now owns less than we did when we first opened. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. We never stop. If Jesus hasn't returned yet, and we still have breath in our lungs, we refuse to sit back, slow down, or give up. We will keep going until everyone knows Jesus, or we die trying. Come hell or high water. We're in the second week of a three-week series we're calling Come Hell or High Water, based off of uh, some themes from my book, released this last week to you guys. You're the very first ones. I've already heard from some people who, uh, who've read the whole thing already, and I, wow, that's, that's impressive. Um, I've, uh, what, what, what this story is really all about is not just the story of Awakened Church, but it's the story of God's faithfulness over these last 10 years, that God has taken us through some hellfire and some literal high water. And I, I wrote this book to help people of, of all different walks of life step out in faith. Learn to trust God, no matter what it is that you face. And that's, uh, that's one thing I'm really passionate about, and that's kind of the, the heart behind this. Uh, as, as we're going through this, this series, we're just kind of learning that part of following God is you're going to face some storms. And sometimes that's literal, and sometimes that's figurative. And we've been talking about kind of both examples. But what's interesting is that as you look back through Scripture, you'll see that there's literally, there's a lot of literal floods and storms that people endured when they were stepping out in faith and obedience. Um, today we're going to journey through three different stories in the Old Testament, Genesis, Joshua, and Nehemiah. We're gonna, I'm going to give you kind of just a snippet of each one of their stories. But if you go all the way back... All the way back to the beginning, you'll start to realize that as people obeyed God, storms, sometimes literal, would, would hit their lives. I mean, if we're talking about rising waters, we got to talk about Noah, right? He's like the OG of surviving floods. You got you to go back there. Uh, or, or, you know, then in the book of Exodus, Israel follows, uh, God rescues Israel from Egypt, and they're, they're going through the wilderness, and they come up on the Red Sea. This deep body of water, how are they going to cross it? God performs a miracle and parts the waters and they walk through on dry land. And then years later, in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, they're about to cross into the promised land. Problem, uh, the, the Jordan River is flooding. How are they going to get 2 million people across a flooding river? Well, again, God does the miraculous and parts the, the water and dries up the riverbed and 2 million people walk into Canaan on dry ground. Again, there's, there's a flood, there's rising waters, and yet God comes through. If you, if you keep going in the Old Testament, how about Jonah? Like, uh, this is a guy who literally got thrown into a storm. Of course, that was his own idea because he was running from God, living in disobedience. 
He's on a ship. The guys are wondering what's going on. Why is the storm? Jonah says, it's my fault. Throw me overboard. So he, they do. And he crashes into the water. And God protects Jonah from drowning in the storm by bringing a big fish to swallow him up and eventually spits him, vomits him onto dry land. It's like reverse sushi. You know what I mean? And so Jonah eventually just goes on to Nineveh and preaches like, like God had originally told him to. You get to the New Testament, and storms are still happening. Uh, there were a couple times, actually, where Jesus would tell the disciples, get on the boat, and I'll meet you on the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. And they would be, the, the Sea of Galilee, Galilee would get whipped into a storm. And there were times where these seasoned professional fishermen thought they were going to die because the storm was so bad. And why, why were they in the middle of it? Because they were following Jesus. They were, they were obedient. In fact, we're going to Israel in February. If you, want, if you go with us, you're going to get to actually be on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and get to see the, the, this whole scene. It's a panoramic of, of biblical stories and how we're in the middle. They were in the middle of following Jesus when the storm was, was whipped up into a frenzy. Book of Acts. Paul is on his way to see Caesar. He's going to trial, and he's in a shipwreck, and, and they all almost die, and it's this whole scene. So sometimes it's figurative, the, the high waters and the hellfire. Other times, it's literal. In fact, if you don't know the, this part of the Awakened Church story, I brought some pictures of a literal flood that our church went through when we were eight months old. Uh, May 2010, uh, it, it rained so much. We've, we've got some pictures that we're going to show you on the screens, but it rained so much that actually Clarksville set records for uh, flooding this weekend, uh, that, that weekend in May 2010. You're going to see different shots of our parking lot, and uh, that's some, some shots of where we started just in 2,400 square feet that is now currently our kids' space, our Awakened Kids' Corner, was completely underwater. And uh, Riverside Drive is more like River Drive. And uh, May 2010, in fact, that weekend, um, May 2nd, was, uh, was when the, the, the rain really hit. We set records for the most rain in 6 hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, and 48 hours. May 2010 went down as the wettest month in all of Clarksville recorded history. And of course, little eight-month-old Awakened Church was right, right there in the middle of it. And so we found ourselves uh, in the middle of this devastation, tragedy. I remember standing in knee-deep, muddy river water in the sanctuary where I had just preached 36 hours prior. And, and I, I just was overcome with grief. I, I just, man, my family moved, moved our lives from across the nation to plant this. And now it was over, was, was my initial thought. And, and yet I remember standing there in the middle of the flood. My, my, my pants soaked, my shoes soaked from this water. And as I, as I stood there and just kind of scanned the scene, looking at tens of thousands of dollars of loss in our little 2,400 square feet, Tears running down my cheeks. I, I heard the Lord tell me, Kevin, this has never been your church. This is my church, and I'm going to build it my way. Trust me. And he's been doing that. And now here we are. Look at how God has brought us full circle. And just a few years after that, we went from renting 2,400 square feet to owning 32,000 square feet 
over three buildings on six acres. We purchased the whole shopping center through God's provision. And now we own the shopping center that we once lost everything in. Come on, how good is our God, right? What a story of redemption. We're going to talk about God's redemption today. Now, during this series, it's kind of anchored, um, this this series and, and really the heartbeat of this book is anchored to Isaiah 43, verse 2. And so I want to share this. We're, we're looking back at this Isaiah 43, verse 2 each week. Isaiah writes, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. God speaking. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you. Each week, we're looking at Isaiah 43, 2 and getting a new principle from that, from that, uh, that text. So if you were here last week, we talked about this first principle, this first idea, and, and just the reality that walking in victory requires walking through pain. It's, it's just going to, there will be pain that comes with the victory. When we think of walking in victory, a lot of times we, don't, we just don't even think about the painful aspect of it. But, but I, I pointed out last week that this first principle comes from the wording in, in Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you walk through the river of difficulty, when you walk through the fire. It's not if, it's when. And so we, we have to understand that pain is part of the pathway of our obedience. Okay, that was last week, week one. Today's week two. And so I want to give you a second principle from Isaiah 43, Verse 2, if you would jot this second principle down, write this. I hope this is encouraging. What God brings you to, he will bring you through. Again, let me point out the, the, the wording in Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you walk through the river of difficulty, when you walk through the fire, it, it does not say when you pass out in the, in the flood or when you burn up in the fire. You're going through it. If God's brought you to it, he's going to give you everything you need to go through it. He's got you. He may not have caused that pain, but I promise you, he will give you all the provision and the strength you need to get through it. It's reminiscent of of Psalm chapter 23. I imagine you've heard it even if you've never really read the Bible. Psalm 23 is very common, very well known, and it's this whole passage about the sheep and, and Jesus, God being our shepherd. And David writes this. He was a shepherd at the time as he wrote it. And he said that even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't say we camp out in the valley of the shadow of death or that we're barely going to crawl our way out. No, he says, when you walk through. And let me just remind you today that the same shepherd that is with you in the valley is the same God that is with you through hellfire and high water. He goes with you. If he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. Life will be filled with floods, with hellfire. There's going to be pain. So now that let's talk about the question, the big question for us today. That principle what God brings you to, he'll bring you through, is a springboard into the rest of the, the heart of the message today. Because the question I want to answer today is, since there will be flooding, if you're not in it yet, you'll be there eventually, figuratively or literally. Since there will be flooding, what do you do in the flood? How do you keep going? I've entitled this message, here's the title, write it down. Canoes in the parking lot. And I brought a picture because this is a real thing that happened in May 2010. Look at this. Look at this picture. Canoes in the parking lot. I took this picture from 
standing in the, in the sanctuary, our little tiny sanctuary at the time, looking, looking out over the parking lot. Um, in fact, when, as you look at that picture, you'll see that your cars currently right now are parked in that area that, that that picture is, is showing. And I was just amazed because as we were unload, or loading up things to try to get whatever we could, salvage whatever we could out, our, the tenant neighbor next to us literally brought a canoe and rowed across the parking lot to grab all of his stuff. So there he was with a canoe where he should have been able to drive his car, where we did drive our car just a few hours prior before the flood. And so here he was, and we didn't have a canoe, so what we did was we took off doors off of the hinges, and we put speakers and anything that we could still salvage in double and triple trash bags, and we used the door as like a makeshift raft to float it out of the parking lot and then, and then take it home. And so, but, but as, I, as I thought about this, I just thought, man, a canoe in a parking lot is such a beautiful visual of how to deal with the flooding in life. So we're, we're, here's, here's why I say canoes in the parking lot. Today, I want to give you the, the canoe and maybe some oars that will help you navigate the flooding. Again, the question is not if life will hurt. The question is, what do I do when life hurts? When the, the floodwaters are rising, when the fire feels the hottest, how am I going to make it? And I love this visual of canoes in the parking lot because here's what we're saying today. We're just declaring, I'm not just going to coast with the current. I'm not going to drown in the flood. I'm going to reassess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strategize and I'm going to work. God's going to give me the strength to paddle out of this flood. God's going to take us through whatever it is that he's brought us to. And he's going to speak to us in that flood. So I want to give you three things today. And I believe these are going to be real practical helpful things to help you understand how to make it through the flood, okay? So, like I said, this would be a little bit different than normal. Typically, I'll give you one text, and we'll just kind of take that whole thing apart. I'm going to take you to three different stories. I'm going to set up the context with each one and help you understand how when life is, is painful, God will give us, God's given us everything we need to make it through. We're going to start here in Genesis chapter 50, and I want you to write this these first I'll give you three. We'll start here with number one. Write this first one down. Recognize the Redeemer. Genesis chapter 50. If you don't want to turn there, um, uh, we'll, we'll have a couple verses on the screen. I think it's always good for you to see it. But if you can't keep up as we go through these, that's okay. Um, let me set the backstory, and then I'll read Genesis 50 verse 20. If you don't know the story in Genesis, uh, it's a powerful story. One of my favorites, literally, in, in all of Scripture. Um, where God uses some really tragic circumstances to redeem and, and, and breathe purpose back into the story. Uh, the, the backstory in Genesis 37 through 50 is the, the life of Joseph. Joseph at the time was uh, the youngest of 12 siblings, 12 brothers, and um, there's 12 of them. He's the youngest. His older brothers, God, see, God gives Joseph a dream that his older brothers are going to be bowing down to him. Well, older brothers don't like to bow down to their younger brothers, it turns out. And so they're not real happy when they hear that dream. They beat him up. They uh, leave him in a pit. Eventually, they pull him out of the pit and sell him into slavery into Egypt. They uh, fake his death. They make sure that their dad is, is pretty sure that, that his son, Joseph, is dead. And, and they basically move on with life. Well, in Egypt, 
He's sold into slavery. He kind of, uh, he's very faithful in what God has given him in front of him. He works his way up. And uh, 11 or 12 years in, he's placed into a high position of power. But then he's framed for a crime he didn't commit. He's thrown in prison, and he's literally forgotten for years. God brings him to the, the, the memory of some guys. They call him out of prison after a few years of being forgotten. We're 13, 14 years uh, into his story at this point, And he's called out to interpret a dream that Pharaoh has had. God gives him the interpretation, and Pharaoh honors him by elevating him to power, a position of, of authority in Egypt. He's the second in charge, second right beneath Pharaoh himself. A drought hits the land. This is the, the prophecy or the, the dream. A drought hits the land. Joseph is the one put in place to take care of all of the food rations. Well, wouldn't you know somebody needs food from a land far away? It's Joseph's brothers. Them thinking that Joseph is long gone and probably dead by now, they make their way to Egypt and they approach this man who is in so much power and they bow down to him fulfilling the God-given dream that Joseph was given decades ago. Joseph, now in a place of power, could so easily stamp these guys out, have them executed. He's the second in charge in Egypt. Instead, he reveals his identity, and now watch this, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he has this incredible word for them. He says this, speaking to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This same redemption story, although the details will look completely different in your life, the same redemptive God that we serve, that we're reading about here, is the God that is still in the business of redeeming us today. He's still in the business of taking our pain and turning around and giving it, giving it purpose. In fact, when I look back on the story of the flood that we've gone through here at Awaken, I just know God was working behind the scenes to get Little Awaken Church here to Riverside Center, position us in place right before the flood hit because God wanted us here for the flood. He didn't cause the pain and the tragedy, but he knew it was coming, and he wanted to make sure that he had some people strategically in place when it came. And guess what? What Satan intended to use to destroy the church, God used to build his church. This is what he does. He's the redeemer. And so he built the church, this little local gathering of Christians here in Riverside Center. He built us up personally. He built us up as, as a growing church. We, he, he, he used it to unite the city. He used it to cross denominational lines. We had other churches uh, from all over the city who came to help us clean up and rebuild. And we had so many people who came to help that we had to start deploying people into the city to reach other people because our needs were taken care of. See, this is what God does. He takes tragedy and pain and he turns it around and gives it purpose. And you don't always see the purpose right away. That was a real quick turnaround for us. Sometimes it's going to take months or years or decades. The reality is sometimes you'll never really see the purpose on this side of heaven. But trust that our God is the Redeemer. Because what, what God, see, this is what God does. He wants to take your pain and he wants to turn you into a conduit of comfort into the lives of the people all around you. He wants to use you and your situation 
to breathe purpose into it and, and to speak truth into other people's lives. This is what God is really good at. I'll give you a few examples of how this may play out in your life. I've personally walked through this with people. I've seen how God can take the sin of infidelity in marriage and prevent, not only prevent a marriage from dissolving, but actually bring repentance and health. And a marriage with God's, God's strength, by God's grace, can not only survive that, but can thrive through it. I have friends who have been through it personally, and God is able to redeem even the darkest, deepest things for his glory and for our good. Some of you are, are living this out right now. You used to be an addict. You were hooked on something. And God has broken you of that addiction, not just to break you of the addiction, but so that you could help another addict break free of their addiction. Because our God's the Redeemer. What the enemy intended for evil, God intends to use for good. And yeah, you did that to yourself, and you made some decisions that got yourself into a bad situation, but God can help you not only break that, but now use you to help break that in somebody else's life. That's the Redeemer. There was a family who just uh, moved with, with the army this last summer, and um, they had gone through a couple miscarriages. Devastating pain. There was this young mom who wanted to have a baby and lost, lost her infant. And so she decided instead of just turning inward and having pity on herself, that she would be a comfort into the lives of other people. And she started a, a program here at, at Bach, at the hospital, on post, that would minister to families going through the loss of an infant. She became the conduit of comfort when she didn't even have a kid yet. You know, it's so cool, it's just how God's brought that whole story around. They had a baby just a few months ago, and I got to hold that little baby before they left. God used her through her pain, and she became a conduit of comfort into the lives of it. Because this is what God does. Listen, God will often place his people in the midst of tragedy so that he can use us strategically. It's what he does. God brought Joseph to Egypt to save his people. It took him decades for us to see the picture. But God's the redeemer. So how are you going to make it through the flood? You've got to recognize the redeemer. That even if you don't see the purpose yet, God has a purpose in whatever it is that you're going through. Now, let's, let's flip to Joshua chapter 4 because I want to equip you with something else that will help you. When the floodwaters are rising, here's the second thing that you need to do. How do you deal with the flood? Number two, fight forgetfulness. This is going to take some work because all of us are forgetful people. Again, let me kind of just set the background here. Uh, in, in the book of Joshua chapter 4, they're about to walk, the nation of Israel, about to cross over the Jordan River. In fact, by Joshua chapter 4, they already have. They've, they've miraculously, God has dried up the riverbed. They've crossed the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And God wants to make sure that before they fight any battles, before they go any further, that they take some time and remember how faithful God has been. So watch this, Joshua chapter 4, verse 5. Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? 
Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Watch this. If life is the flood, then building monuments is the canoe and the paddles. It empowers you to keep going. You will hit floodwaters. There will be hellfire. It's just part of following God. So what are you going to, it's not if those are going to happen. It's what do you do when they come? Well, one of the first things God wanted them to do was, come on, you, I know you're going to forget this. I want you to go back into that riverbed. I want you to dig up some boulders, and I want you to stack them up. Because I never want you to forget that those river boulders used to be in that river, and now they're on the side of the, the riverbed because of the miracle that I performed. God said, I want to make sure that you never forget this. Why? Why is that so important for us? Think about it. We didn't just rent out the downtown commons because we wanted to spend some money and throw a party. We rented it out. I I want you to know, if you were there on that Wednesday night, we rented it out because we were actively fighting our forgetfulness. You were in the middle of a fight against our forgetfulness. We have to regularly carve out some time, take out a weekend, spend some money to build something and say, look how good our God is. Why? Because forgetfulness is an enemy of our faith. When God asks you to step out, it's so easy to remember fear and forget God's faithfulness. So this is why we build monuments. We want to make sure that we never forget. We got something to look back on. And by the way, we got lots of monuments all around Awaken that you didn't even maybe recognize our monuments. You're like walking around in one of our venues. Oh, those are cool pictures. No, 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 those are monuments. You're like, well, they don't look like stones. Well, it, we just felt like pictures looked better than stones in our foyer, right? I mean, we could bring in some river, river rocks, I guess. But the, the pictures really are monumental. They, they tell stories. In, in both of our venues, you can walk around. In, in down the, the hallway of our kids' Kids Corner, Kids Central, you can walk around and you can see monuments. They're stories. They're pictures of our first service and the flood and our fifth birthday. And there's a picture in the South Venue, one of my favorites, um, where a a small group of us gathered at the end of this building, right outside what is currently the South Venue, and we prayed. We needed more space. We were asking God to clear up some room somewhere here in in Riverside Center. And after we had spent some time out there praying, just a few months later, that business went out of business. Now, I don't know if we prayed them out of business, okay? That wasn't our goal. But God cleared up some space for us. And, and we have a picture of that. It's a monument. So it's, but it's not just pictures. There's stuff all over the place. If you pick up your kindergartner today, if you've got a kid in the, in the kindergarten room, I want you to walk in, if security will let you. <laughs> I want you to walk in. And on the wall, there's this art installation. You may have seen it and didn't even realize what it was. There's wood that our our creative team has actually fashioned to the wall, and it looks like kind of a tree is growing out of the wall. What's amazing about that wood, backstory is, that our creative team just a few, few years ago when we created that room, when we built it out, they were able to track down driftwood from the 2010 flood. And hanging on our wall now in, kin- in the kindergarten room is actual driftwood that used to be floating down Riverside Drive. And it's now a visual reminder to us of that, that God dried up the flood and took us through it. In our kindergarten room, in the social side, we've got a white line that cuts through the paint. 
It's the flood line. It's a visual to us. If God took us through the flood, what can't he take us through? Come on, right? We got to build monuments. Now, somebody in here is thinking like, okay, that's a cool idea, but I'm not even that artistic. Okay, well, you don't have to build art on a wall, but you could at least make a list, right? Couldn't you at least start with some things that, because I promise if you think hard enough and dig deep enough, you could have an endless list of ways that God has been faithful to you. I'll just, I'll kickstart your list for you. Ready? Uh, how about you woke up this morning with breath in your lungs and a beating heart? Did you know there's a lot of people that did not wake up this morning? That means you've got a purpose. That means God called you to something specific today. That means there's a reason for your existence on this planet still. How about some kids? You've got kids. Some of you, did you know that those kids who caused such a headache for some of you, do you know there's so many parents out there who want kids? Come on, let's be thankful for what God has already provided us with. Our finances, you're like, man, my finances are tough. But you got something. God's provided you with something. How about some spiritual blessings? I don't know, saved by grace through faith. How about the cross? How about the, how about the tomb is, has, has, is empty and has, death has been defeated? How about all of this? We're sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, we could go on, but I'm just trying to kickstart your list. You could turn it into art, but you got to at least make a list. Why? Because forgetfulness is an enemy of our faith. God said, build a monument because you're going to forget. You know, what's great about a monument too is not only is it helpful for everybody, but it's especially helpful for those who weren't there when it happened. Joshua 4, he goes, stack up the stones because your kids are going to ask. I want a conversation started with your kids, God says. I want multiple generations to know how faithful I've been. How can we in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces build monuments, live out God's faithfulness so that the ripple effect, the conversations can start and we can proclaim God's faithfulness. We've got to fight forgetfulness. So we, we've talked about recognizing the Redeemer, fighting forgetfulness. Now I'm about to give you this third one and it's not going to make sense probably right away, but I'm going to explain. Okay, write it down. Number three, say no to Sanballat. Now, if you know the story in Nehemiah chapter six, I'm going to read that here in just a moment, but let me kind of set the context again, where I know we're parachuting into the middle of a story. Nehemiah chapter six, Nehemiah has uh, been led by the Lord to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls that have been destroyed. And so by Nehemiah chapter six, they're rebuilding. And um, as Nehemiah and his crew are out there working, they are continually approached by these two guys named Sanballat and Tobiah. Do you guys remember the movie uh, Little Rascals? Okay, Sanballat and Tobiah are the bullies on there, Butch and Woin. Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so they're, they're the bullies. They're the guys who are out to cause problems. That's all they want to do. They want to distract the workers and destroy the work. So Nehemiah won't stand for this. He's like, no, 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 not on my watch get away from my people, get away from this work. He rebukes them. In fact, before we even get to Nehemiah chapter 6, he's already told them in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 20, he's already given them a, a rebuke. Look at, look at what Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Nehemiah says. Nehemiah 2 verse 20, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. He's like, get out of here. Chapter 6, 
He says this, watch verse 3. I sent messengers to them. <laughs> I love that because Nehemiah's like, I ain't even got time to meet with them. I'm not even going to talk to them. L- look at this. I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? He just uh, straight up tells them what he thinks about their distraction. Right there. And listen, I think it, this is so important for us to, to, to stop discussing and debating with the devil. And we just need to put an end to this. We need to have the same response to the devil in our lives as Nehemiah said to Sanballat. Listen, here's, here's our response to the devil's lies, the guilt that he's trying to beat you up with, all of the things he's trying to bring into your life. Here's what you tell the devil. You ready? You have no right, no portion, and no claim in my life. I'm a son or a daughter of the king. Why I got work to do. Why am I going to stop my work and come down and debate with you? You have nothing. You are a defeated enemy. You are a liar from the pit of hell, and that's where you need to be. That's what you tell the devil in your life. Come on, anybody listening? We, we, we got we to gotta stop this debating and discussing with the devil. That's not how this works. The devil has no room. And no power in our life. The only power that the devil has over you is power that you've allowed him to have. He's defeated in the name of Jesus. You have no portion or right or claim. That's what you tell the devil. Not today, Satan. Tell him. Come on, say no to Sanballat. You know what's interesting? I I found out this week that the word, the name Sanballat means bramble bush. So here's, here's why that's so interesting. Bramble bush, a bramble bush is known typically as a weed. It's something that grows in an area that's not well taken care of. And it's really hard to get rid of. Isn't that just like the devil? Where God is trying to produce growth, the devil is sowing seeds of, of weeds. He's trying to choke out the the growth and the calling that God has on your life. So there are a lot of things that you need to just clear out of your life and say, no, that doesn't have power over me anymore. There are things, there are maybe some people, some relationships in your life that you need to say, no longer. I'm not going to let that happen anymore. I'm going to live. Some of you need to say, I'm going to live in sexual purity from this point forward. I've failed in the past. But today marks a new day. By the power of God in my life, pornography, lust, sexual sin has no portion, no right, no claim in my life. Some of you need to own up to the fact that you've got an addiction and you need to seek some help for it. You need to start talking to somebody about it. You need to confess that to somebody and say, alcohol for too long has had a portion and a right and a claim on my life. No more. That's it. No more doesn't mean you won't ever fall back into it, but that means we're going to start doing something about it. I'm going to start saying no more. I'm not going to give any more power to that in my life. We're going to say no to these weeds that the devil has sowed into our lives to choke out the calling and the purpose that God has on us. Say no to these things. We've got work to do, church. Why am I going to hit pause on the work so I can get held back by these things that the devil has placed in front of me to trip me up. So to the Sanballat and Tobiah in all of our lives, no more.
I'm not going to let it weigh me down. I'm not going to listen to the lies of the enemy. Devil has no right, no, no claim, no portion any longer. We're not going to let it. So listen, all of us are at different stages of flooding. Some of you right now are thinking, ah, I don't know, life's pretty good. Well, if you haven't been through a flood yet, spoiler alert, it's coming. It's going to happen. It's, it's inevitable. This is, this is the, the challenge of living in a sinful, fallen, broken world. Life's going to hurt. If you're not hurting right now, great. Rejoice in the season and be there to comfort somebody else who's hurting. Some of you, though, you, you're recognizing, man, life is a flood. I feel like God's taking me through. You've got some oars. You're paddling. You got your canoe in the parking lot. You're like, I, I didn't expect this, but we're going to make it. Others of you, though, you've been doing that for a little while, and you've just kind of like thrown the oars in. Like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. You're thinking, I might, I might jump overboard. I don't, I don't know if I can keep going. Some of you have already abandoned ship. You're in the water. You don't know what to do. Listen, can I just tell you the story of the gospel? See, every other religion, if that's you in the water, your God, your leader, he's in the boat, and he's telling you, I, I hope you can swim hard enough. Hope you can get yourself back in this boat. Listen, the gospel is that Jesus was in the boat while you were in the boat. And when you jumped out, Jesus jumped out with you. And he's swimming right along with you. And he's there. And if you'll let him give you the strength, he'll be the one who lifts you back into that canoe and keeps you going. And guess what? Sopping wet, he's going to get in the boat with you. And he's going to row right alongside you. The same shepherd in the valley with the sheep is the same God who goes with you in the hellfire and the high water. Come hell or high water, God will not abandon you. But you can't swim it on your own. You can't paddle it on your own. You'll never be strong enough on your own. You need him to move you forward. Amen?